This week on AV Week, we talk about virtual studios and virtual watching. All that and more coming up on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. This is AV Week, recorded Friday, December 16th, 2022, virtually together. This is AV Week. Hi, I'm Bradford Ben. I'm filling in for Tim Albright this year, and this is the, the last episode of AV Week for the year. Hopefully, I will be soon to be joined by many of AV award-winning people because voting is still open, so you can vote for your AV Person of the Year, and I have three fine candidates for you. Uh, we're going to go by time zones this year, this week, uh, so I'm going to start with Amelia, who is way in the future on Greenwich Mean Time. Amelia, Pleasure to have you. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to people? Thank you so much, Bradford. Yes, I am in London and I'm a futurist. So I study new technologies and their potential impact on the future of business and our lives. And one of the areas I specialize in is XR and the metaverse. And I host the XR Star podcast here on AV Nation. So I have to put a flag on the play. There is a, there is a, there are multiple Bradford rules at play at the moment. Uh, so the first one is you can't use an abbreviation unless you can define it. Okay. So could you please define XR for our fine listeners? Certainly. Yes. XR is extended reality. So it's an umbrella term for virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, immersive technology, all that good stuff, and all the more realities that we develop in the future. And then next time zone over is my time zone, but she is in a much more fun place, in my opinion, because she's in Washington, D.C., District of Columbia, to make sure I follow my own rules, and I'd rather be there looking at the museums, is Bren Walker. Bren, welcome to the, to the episode. Thank you for having me, Bradford. I'm pleased to be here for another AV Week. Uh, I'm partner of Integrated Systems Design at Kierkegaard, where we do AV systems for mostly performing arts and higher education. And I'm really excited to talk about some virtual production today, among other things. And last but certainly not least, bringing up the middle of the country, home time zone for AV Nation is Chrissy Sarah. Chrissy Sarah of AV Teach 101. Chrissy, how are you in snowy Northern uh, Illinois? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on today's episode. I'm pretty excited to be here. I love this. It makes me so happy whenever I get to chat with you guys. So this is going to be fun. Um, I'm in Northern Illinois. It is pleasantly snowing right now. And I'm hoping for at least three inches so we can make some snowman. <laughs> that would be amazing. Snow people. Snow people. Yes, snow people. Since we're talking about various topics, we're definitely going to be talking a little bit about XR and extended reality and how it impacts production. But the first story, I swear this was Tim's Christmas gift or free loot day gift to me, is he asked me to talk about 
Students at Northern, at, uh, in colleges, rebelling against crotch monitoring. Uh, allow me to explain that because that is a clickbait title if I've ever heard one. Uh, so this article comes to us from Hackaday, and it's about the way people are monitoring desk usage in, in the engineering classrooms. Uh, and the first problem is the fact it's engineering classrooms, so of course people found them. The second thing is, to me, just the whole fact it's crotch monitoring sensors as the title. So I'll give a little bit of background on that. Uh, I was actually at Northeastern University to get desk usage. They put monitors under the desk to see how actively used the desks are. So, Bren, because I know your opinions on this one since we talked a little ahead of time, I'm going to tee this one up for you for uh, to take first swipe at it. Surveillance Nation. I mean, you know, we've, we've tacitly and sometimes proactively agreed to providing a lot of information to companies with even the faintest clue of what they're going to do with it. So, you know, once, once students started to agree to having uh, little tags put under their skin, which I think that was either in Wisconsin or Minnesota, um, we sort of said to our, we sort of opened the door to, to any and all of this. Uh, it's great that these students are pushing back and hopefully they're thinking about it on a larger level and organizing and, um, def you know, putting up some defense for the rest of us. But, you know, if you're sending your heartbeat to Apple and, you know, you don't seem to care about that, what they might do with it, you know, what's a little heat sensor on the crotch? I, you know, I, I, granted, I didn't check to see if they're censoring heat or if they're censoring weight, um, but, you know. It's actually, so I checked because I am that nerd. Uh, they are checking heat because if they had been checking weight or motion, a, a book bag or briefcase or jacket would show the desk is occupied. So they're actually looking for body-esque temperatures. Right. Except what happens when people sit in seats? You move around. A book bag doesn't mm -hmm. move around. So this doesn't have to be heat-based. That's a choice. So Amelia, as, as a futurist, what what do you what do you think of this and are there other alternatives available in our bag of tricks yeah it's a good question i mean i think it's really funny that they tried to do this at the northeast northeastern Cybersecurity and privacy institute and think that they could get away with it i feel like that's something you would find in a sitcom or something um but yeah i mean the thing about heat sensors is we are being monitorized uh monitor Sorry, we are being um, mapped often without our knowledge or without our consent. When we go into stores, when we go into malls, when we go into entertainment parks, this is heat mapping. This is something that has been done for, you know, a long time. Um, I think there is something to be said for the proximity. One of the points that I thought was interesting is it's like if you have a camera in the corner, people are less likely to get upset about it than a, a monitor under their desk that they that you know is 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 near personal space and um, and in that kind of personal proximity. Um, I mean, for me, these raise the bigger questions about you know 
human rights issues when it comes to being surveillanced and monitored and how this next generation is going to deal with it, how this generation that is currently in charge is dealing with it. I mean, making these kind of choices without opening up the conversation to people is part of the problem. I think, you know, this is a... And I think that's part of the reason why people got so upset about it, um, you know, and had they maybe walked everyone through all the different benefits that this could offer the Institute when it comes to saving money and, um, you know, and potentially using these spaces in better ways and maybe walked people through the alternatives to how we can get the same results. It could have gone quite differently. Um, also, these are really ugly, like big monitors. Like uh, they just, yeah. There was just a lot that I think could have been handled better. Um, and you know, I mean, there's. It's a bit ironic to me because we do give away so much data, and we are being monitored all the time. If you have a phone, they know where you are. You know, it's. Um, so, so to me, it's asking this bigger question. Are, is this our future that we have signed up for? Is this what we want? Is it going to benefit us? Or do we want something different? Do we want to demand an alternative? And I think it's a good debate to have. You know, Amelia, you said something that um, made me think about the fact that we don't really have a recognized consumer or human rights organization that's looking at privacy matters and surveillance matters and saying, you know, there are different people who have tried, who have started organizations doing this, but nothing that's as widely as accepted as some of the kinds of organizations that consumers have had in the past. And my hope is that the story, a story like this generates more interest in the development of one of those bodies that's going to be looking out for rights and will give people the opportunity to weigh in on how much do I, how much information do I get? How much information do I provide? Right. And who gets to decide that? Mr. Shrago, now Mr. Sh Mr. Josh Shrago Esquire, because he passed his bar, congratulations. Uh, he actually is uh, and was an intern working with the Ener uh, Electronic Freedom Foundation about these exact items. So I agree with you. It needs to happen. There are many people who are working on it, but EFF is not a common word to most people. Uh, but Chrissy, I was about to ask you, so what's your take on all of this and the impact it's going to have on the world? Sure. I uh, have a reputation when it comes to things like this to kind of Tony Stark it, and I see a lot of perspectives really fast. So it takes me a quick I got to take some time to like process what I just read. When I first saw the title, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like this is, this can't be real. Right. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for me, I, I am a woman who has woman moments in a month. So I thought this device was completely different. I thought it was something that they actually put in to their attire that they're wearing. And so I was immediately like, what are we even talking about? Right? Like, how is this even legal? Uh, but thankfully, it was just something that was positioned underneath the desk, so that wasn't as bad. However, it still is just so many avenues of of interest, in my opinion. To Bren's point, um, I have not ever understood, if that's a word, the crimes against humanity phrase until recently, because there's been a lot of push in all of this data that they've been mining for 
20 years is now getting to a point where they actually have tangible things to do stuff with it. Um, there's recently been that, that push on Facebook or some social media site about, you know, avatar, avataring your face. And I'm just like, guys, stop. Like, they're literally doing line by line reading how the human face is across millions of devices and millions of people's faces. And I'm just like, why, are, why? I don't care to see myself in an avatar picture well enough to want to do that. A, B, I'm freely giving them my facial recognition profile. And that's not something I'm okay with doing. And I should, it should be okay for me to not be okay with that. And I feel bad for these students because they didn't have an opportunity to even say yes or no to this. So to your point, I, I think the, the, hey, do you guys want to be tracked question would be great. And of course, they're going to say no. But if the university put that in place and said, well, we're the university, we're definitely going to have this. You can either leave or not like it. You know, if you don't like it, leave. Um, you know, then that's that comes back to Amelia's point, like, what, how could we accomplish something of a compromise, like, where we understand the students, or the, the university needs to know if there's actual physical humans in the space versus those virtually, how do they actually de develop metrics from both a hybrid learning environment and all that stuff, like, I understand the importance for business, but I also completely understand the side where it's, these are humans you're talking about, they're not going to be computers or they're not going to be things that you can just quickly tap into and get your quick download of the day of what the activity was but we do have those devices that do that for us so um yeah i definitely think this could have been handled differently i love the fact that they put it in the engineer complex um that you made the joke about you can't put it in an engineer space and not know that that's going to be found and of course that's me if somebody asked me last night um something about the different versions of hybrid learning. And I was like, do you want to know the short, the long version or the short version? Because in my engineer brain, I'm going to give you the six definitions. <laughs> and they're like the short version. So yeah, definitely an interesting article for sure. And I'm definitely not interested myself in having my crotch monitored or my heat measured or my weight measured. And definitely not for that being not with consent. So I think you brought up a good point, which is that there are a lot of devices in that room already. So, so why make this choice that's kind of a blunt choice when you think about it? You know, right. like you could use a combination of data sets to establish whether or not a person was in a seat besides, you know, measuring heat. And, and what happens when that heat fluctuates? Does anybody start asking questions about why somebody's temperature started to go up in the middle of so the presentation? So-and-so is registering 102. <laughs> exactly. I think one of the fears, too, is that that data could be used against you. So if you aren't being sat at a desk, if you're working at home or you're working stood up, is that is somebody going to take that and say, well, you're not committed to this job, you're not committed to this study, you know, is, is are you going to be penalized in some ways, you know? And I would even go for uh, a step further there is it's not necessarily – uh, that I am worried about them telling me that if I'm not sitting at my desk, I'm not doing a good enough job. Like, that's definitely a, a concern. But I would even go further in that, let's say they have a workforce of 100 people and 75% of the people they can't get accurate readings on, then they're going to implement policies that cover the whole 100 people. So if they, if they don't get the right data that they're expecting to get to say yes or no on policy, then they're just going to launch the policy that they can 
they can do because they're not getting they're not getting the data that they want. So to your point, I would I would even go a little bit further than that and saying it's not even an individual burn. It's a it's a collective um, crime against the group. In my thought. Well, I I do want to add something since we did bring this into the workforce. Uh, so the whole work from home and all of that, uh, Microsoft was monitoring your work levels and your keystrokes and how often you were lined in and was it was reporting that back to your boss. And what's interesting is that, to Brennan's point, it was told that if you're using a work computer, they can monitor you and you must sit, mm -hmm. do this. And same thing with Microsoft, when you install it, gives all of these things but then everyone got up in arms and i'm not going to say good or bad about the fact that that was happening and to me the surprise was well you agreed to it you know why are you surprised i think it i think it, it raises a, a a sort of bigger question that is you know to me tied to a 20th century mindset which is that you can evaluate the you can evaluate what someone's doing based on time spent. When when that as a metric for the for your contribution to an organization or a project is so outdated, and and it also means if you decide okay well this person I know they like to spend X amount of time away from the screen so I'm going to understand their habits so that I can track their productivity based on their habits. Well, what if I want to change my habits? You know, what if I decide to do things differently? It just, to me, it's locking us into a mindset that we should long be past and we should be evaluating things based on real contribution and not, you know, how fast did you type that? You know, cause it doesn't, what does it really tell you at the end of the day? You know, it's, it, it's, there are better ways for us to understand whether or not people are being productive than whether or not they've started typing at 9.02 and finished at 5.18. That brings up a great segue into one of the stories I think Bradford is going to talk about, about the virtual production. And yep. I, have a, I have a pretty, like, I don't know what you want to call it, but hard stance or just a very, like, awareness stance of, you can create virtual reality all day long. It's still not reality. There's still not 20 actors on a set with a video production crew and you feeling that energy and you're feeling that like SNL and uh, friends and cheers, like those, those quality and level of, of events um, and productions aren't, that's like gone. So the surveys of, of census going out and, you know, going knocking on doors and saying how many people live in your house we're doing our census like that's gone because now you can just you can just data mine all of that and it's like oh man you're just missing so much on that humanity part and it's why who's fighting for humanity i don't know how are we even here right like <laughs> well i do want to give a little clarification on that because i do understand the computer generated uh, images cgi Mm -hmm. for all the extras and all of that. But that's not the main focus, at least for me, of Amazon Studios' new XR. It's using an expanse or a virtual world or basically a huge LED display instead of green screens to put in the background. So since we're talking about doing a virtual reality, 
or an extended reality, I figure we should definitely start off with Amelia and get your take on how how this is going. And if you see this as a huge move, or is it just Amazon's just another one and now they're out of books and into production or how this impacts the world, if at all? Well, Amazon aren't the first to do this, um, but they are one of the first to have a complete ecosystem around it. And that's a big part of this is the um, the the cloud aspect of it. And in an interesting way, I kind of, when I read this article, I kind of got that sense that it's sort of going back to that old Hollywood system where they're creating this like production chain of churning out content, reusing sets, reusing um, the content created, different city landscapes, different settings, different environments, and, uh, and creating this asset digital library. So on the one hand, I think uh, from an economical point of view, it's a big investment up front, but it will pay for itself and probably already is paying it for itself in the long term. I think from uh, an actor's point of view, like there was a great clip of Helen Mirren sat in a spaceship and being able to see the things she's supposed to be reacting to in real time probably gives a bit of a different performance than just imagining it in her head. And, um, and then I think there's also an interesting point around sustainability. So this shrinks and minimizes the supply chain when it comes to, you know, building sets, creating props, um, bringing in lots of people, all this kind of stuff. It really shrinks it down. But I would just want to raise the point that while that shrinks that supply chain carbon footprint, the amount of data that is being created is exponential. It's huge, you know, especially because we're thinking about 3D data and all this kind of stuff and then the storage of it and being able to transfer immediately so other people can collaborate. Um, I like that, that, you know, traditionally this industry hasn't really been able to work from home. And I think a lot of people suffered during the time of COVID because so much takes place on a set in person in real life. So this is a step towards accommodating remote working in a way and then also being able to open up that employment to people who are around the world. Um, but then, you know, there is a footprint. Like when we talk about the cloud, it's easy to forget that the data is actually rooted in the real world in a very real way by the amount of energy it takes to store it and produce it. So, um, so yeah, so that is something that I think that we need to hold these companies accountable for and make sure that we're not just transferring one carbon footprint to another that could even be worse in the long run. Yeah, and I think you could argue that we'd rather see the, it, I'd rather see the energy usage for this than Bitcoin, right? Than mining Bitcoin. But it's a similar sort of thing where that activity depends on processing, it depends on data moving. Um, I, I will disagree with you a bit, Chrissy, and say that for film anyway, I don't think that the lack of presence in the same space is as relevant be, not not only because of green screen shooting, but also because of the way film is shot to begin with. So if you're if I'm doing a tight shot on you reacting to something, the other person might be filing their nails, depending on who your scene partner is. So I think act, for actors, this opens up the world in terms of what productions you could participate in 
when we get to that point where you're in a major city and all you have to do is go to the cube in that city to shoot your scenes or to shoot some pickups, they're going to just send the Unreal Engine files to that studio. It's going to get loaded up and all of a sudden someone who is in you know Chicago, let's say, is shooting scenes for a film that's being produced in Sydney, Australia. Sure. Um, we're, we are working, have been working with one of the major research universities on building a hybrid stage that's going to be used by every department in that school. And every, every school associated with the university is going to be using it for different reasons, from performing arts to engineering to geology to nursing and, and healthcare. So it, the potential for what it opens up is just enormous. I think it's, it is the ground changing thing that, you know, we, we've watched other industries get disrupted and we've seen how the way they operate have, has been changed entirely by one or two technologically, techno, technological developments. This is completely disrupting the way films get made. And I think opening up opportunities for more people. And really, if you have any interest in games or game design, you could be designing sets. You know, you don't have to be hoping that you get that elusive job at the one game developer. You can take those skills and use those skills for sets for any kind of application. Uh, I, I think it's, it's here with us. I think it is reality. It's not physical but it is still reality. And the more we do it, the more we produce using these tools, the better it will be in terms of the experience that people have of, of, of seeing it as reality. I mean, when people saw The Mandalorian, they didn't take that production technique, did not become like in their face in any kind of way to distinguish it from any other film that, of that genre that would be made. You know, most folks would, didn't, wouldn't have even known that that's how it was done, except for, you know, the Oscar win and the press that came around it. So I want to go back to Chrissy's point real quick, because mm -hmm. I do agree with Chrissy of everyone was still on the same soundstage during the recording. And I see Chrissy shaking your head. So I, what do you think of that, of the mix of people in the same space and the virtual space? Do you think that's going to continue because, and yes, I am going to flag you for SNL, but for those of you who don't know what Saturday Night Live is, uh, perhaps you should hang out with me more often. But Chrissy, your take on the, the mixing of the two becoming truly hybrid instead of just virtual. That's a great uh, question for me because I work in hybrid learning environments every day. Uh, I have conversations every day even have conversations today after this call <laughs> about this exact thing um, about, you know, teachers teaching in person, students learning in person while also students learning in the, the distance. So to your point, let's, let's scrunch that up and throw it back out on a film set. What does that look like? Um, so I, I'm kind of, I understand what you're saying, Bren, for sure. And I agree with some parts of it. I think overall, though, my thinking stems from a foundation of like, what's actually necessary? Like, for instance, the smartwatches that count my steps, what? A pedometer has done the same thing for 10 years. One of those little tiny ones from Walgreens that's $7.99. Like, why do I need a watch now that does the same thing along with the 50 other things that I don't need? 
Um, so what is the necessity of the, of the, the need to go virtual? And, and I don't have enough brain space to answer that question. And I know there's a lot of experts in the field that are like, oh my gosh, virtual is the new norm. Um, and I'm excited to have those conversations, but what's, what's necessary, right? So in Mandalorian and in some of the other films, you know, there were big, uh, I'm also thinking all the way back to Lord of the Rings, there were very large sets and very, um, fantasy-based type of characters and positionings that needed very large sets and a lot of money. So back to the footprint conversation, that makes sense as far as needing to kind of slim down that portion. Um, there's an interview with uh, Ian McClellan, who played Gandalf, and he talks about how he just feels that there's so much that has died in live acting because of things like green screens and then like when wolves that are actually the a person wearing a green screen suit and instead of like touching something that gave more of a, of a wolf look it's like a very it's a green head you know with a monitor and, the, and the, the person goes over and kisses the little diode and it's just like that that kind of takes away from the whole experience of the actor and actress which then their actual performance is a bit different. And a good example was in the, the video that this article had attached to it was All Knives Out, which was a movie that was done in the studio. And before I even read this article, even knew about this amazing engineer feat, I stopped watching that movie like 11 minutes in because I was like, I feel like I'm watching surveillance video of like a cafe. Like it was very awkward and <laughs> there was no, no like feeling around the actors and actresses and I was like what am I missing now I totally understand that it might have been maybe the first uh, video that they shot I'm not really sure um, but anyways so, to sum that up I think that I would ask the question of necessity I would even ask the actor and actresses either consent and or preference like how much of that scene do you need in real life to do your job versus how much of that scene can you relate with that's virtual. You know, if you talk to teachers, going back to the hybrid world, teachers right now are, are still struggling with the idea of teaching a screen. Like the four of the three of you are on my screen. You're not in person. How much different would this conversation be if we were in person again? Um, and those are the things I think about when I'm helping mindsets accept and or not use hybrid if they just know that they're never going to get successful uh product out of out of it so we'll see i'm i'm interested to see how it goes i think for our, pri our previous conversation and then this technology it's going to only get better so the virtual production is only going to get better as they continue to data mine and continue to use the set and see if can get feedback um, i have a person a friend of mine who works in this space and they're figuring out how to make cars fly. Like, that's really cool. Is it necessary? But it's cool. <laughs> well, so I would say this, the, the, the objects you interact with on set are going to get more sophisticated. They've already gotten more sophisticated over green screen. Sure. Um, the necessity to me is that this will enable films to get made that otherwise would not get made because your budget can be much lower mm -hmm. when you're not having to, you don't have to, you won't have to have as long a shoot day if you have to change one thing. Instead of, you know, and making a physical change to a set, 
you are making a digital change and uploading a file. That could save you three quarters of a day, depending on what the object actually is. So as far as, you know, and maybe I'm being hard on actors because I studied it and studied directing, but if you toss me the ball, I've caught the ball. I'm holding the ball, right? I, as an actor, I'm supposed to be able to say, I've got the ball, regardless of whether or not you throw me one. And I hear Ian, I, I hear Ian, but I'll also say, you know, Ian, you're 20th century, dude. See ya. I think your 21st century counterparts might be might find it a little easier to deal with because their life interactions have been more digital overall. So I so, think that's something to factor in as well. But I, you know, I'm bullish on virtual production. I'm all about it. And I wish I could build a cube where I live. I bunch of money renting it out to people. I actually got to do an interview on one of these stages a couple weeks ago, and we were on the moon, we were in different office spaces, we were in some crazy, crazy spaces, and it was so much fun. And also they could um, do a layer on top of us as well. So there was augmented reality in front of us. So it's the, it creates this entire kind of um, spatial thing. And I think what's going to get really cool is in the future when we can have that in live settings as well. So if I'm doing a keynote in front of an audience, I can just with a click of a button, instead of, um, you know, switching through slides, I can switch entire environments. Um, if people are wearing glasses, then you can completely transport people into different spaces or you can have graphs and um, data come up around you, or I don't have to be me, I could be an avatar, I could be an animal, I could be something else. And then again, with a click of the button, I can bring everyone back into the same room and we're looking each other in the eye. It's um, the, the possibilities for the dynamics of this are really exciting to me, I think. Chrissy, when our project opens that I'm working on next year this time, I'm going to invite you up to, to experience it with the faculty. Because by then, hopefully the faculty will have some time running at it. And, and okay. then you can see how this particular environment works, especially since it's not going to be focused for film people necessarily or for, sure. for people doing media. It's going to be for the geology professor. And awesome. how does he learn how to use something like that? So stay tuned is what I say. Great. I'm looking forward to it. So speaking of looking forward to it, unfortunately, I have to call this a, a day because we all have other fun things to look forward to. I know Chrissy has phone calls. Amelia, it's the end of the day for you. It's almost, if I have my math right, it's almost seven o'clock there. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Oh, I forgot. Daylight savings time change differences. Hey, Amelia, will we see you at ISC? Yes, yes. I'm actually, I'm hosting the Content and Production Summit and also the Smart Workplace Summit. So I'll be there. Nice, I'll see you there. Yeah, I look forward to it. Segway, Amelia, uh, besides the XR uh, show, XR Star, here on AV Nation, where else can people find you and get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn at Amelia Coleman. I also have a YouTube channel called Amelia Coleman where I release videos all the time. And I am on Twitter, but I'm trying not to use that so much these days. And Bren? You can get me, Bren, at Kierkegaard.com, K-I-R-K-E-G-A-A-R-D. Uh, and on LinkedIn, Brenda J. Walker. And um, yeah, Twitter is uh, MySpace. So 
I'm not showing up much there. I don't, you know, I really don't have time for social media. Who am I kidding? I do my best with LinkedIn to try to get to messages twice a month, but you know, we are, we're in such a, our field is so busy right now. Anybody out there looking for a job, we're hiring. Um, I can probably speak for everybody on this call on that front, but uh, yeah. So see me on LinkedIn or uh, catch me at the conferences or just email me. That's the best thing. And Chrissy, how about you? How can people find you and talk with you and connect and possibly learn? Sure. Yes, I love to teach. AVTeach101 is my uh, handle everywhere across the social medias. Um, I enjoy talking about these types of topics. I need to talk about these topics more because if I live up here too much, then who knows? <laughs> who knows what happens? So uh, let's definitely keep this conversation going. Um, so AVTeach101, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and I'd love to hear from you. So definitely. And I'm Bradford Ben. Don't look for me on the Twitters after Mr. Musk uh, suspended accounts of the media today. I decided it was enough and Twitter is gone. So look for me on the Mastodon. Me and Tim Albright are on Mastodon for audio-video.tech is the server I'm running. Welcome to any and all AV people and anyone else who wants to talk tech. Uh, you also, of course, can find all sorts of programs such as Amelia's show right here on AV, on AV Nation. More importantly, though, please write in one of the four of us for the AV Person of the Year during the AV Awards voting that's currently open uh, at the AV Nation website. And don't bother following Tim on the Twitters because, well, he's just going to complain about the bears and I'm trying to get him over to Mastodon with me. Hey, Bradford, can I slide in one other plug? Sure. I, one thing I am going to, one thing I am going to do, I'm going to be very concerted about doing this. I just started my service on the Avixa board, Avixa being the Audiovisual and Integrated Experience Association. Um, and I will be active on the exchange and I'm going to start talking about the exchange more and more and hoping that people come over there for some conversation. So, so that gives us the quick segues at exchange.avixa.org or is there another way to find it? You go to avixa.org and you'll see it from the homepage. And if not, just drop Bren uh, a note on LinkedIn that she'll ignore for about two weeks as she indicated to us, which I fully understand and agree. <laughs> <laughs> After these publish, I always go look. <laughs> so thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Hope everyone has a happy and safe holiday of their choosing. And make sure to pay to come back and see our best of for the year, as well as don't forget to vote in the AV Awards. <laughs>